Welcome back to Let's Go Viral, a quarantine happy hour. My name is Fabi. I have been a health counselor, nutritionist, and occupational therapist for over 20 years in New York City and Los Angeles. I was getting ready to start a podcast on health and wellness, and during the COVID-19 pandemic and quarantine, unable to see my clients, I realized how many interesting and wonderful people I have met during all my years of practice. So I decided to share a little bit of their lives here with you and take a look of how the pandemic have affected them. I'm happy to interview today Amanda Cinnamon, has been working as an editor, producer, and director in film and television for over 25 years. Her work has been honored with news Emmys, Peabody's, and nomination for Primetime Emmy for Nonfiction Editing. It has a screen on PBS, ABC, HBO, Discovery, and at festivals and screens around the world. Amanda Zinnemann's film included The Last Jews of Libya, Thunder in Guyana, Real Sex, The Schwitz, and Deputies. She's a single mother of a very happy African-American adopted son and lives in Brooklyn, New York. Hi, Amanda. Here with us is Amanda Cinnamon. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. Hi, Fabi. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm very happy to have you here today. Um, I'm happy to be here. I'm glad. To, we have so much to talk about it. Um, okay. And I have already introduced and talked about your work. Um, I know you are a very successful editor of films for television and movie theater. And one that I want to talk about, given the actual political climate, um, yeah. is Deputize. How do you get involved in this project? Um, well, I primarily work as an editor, but uh, that one, this, somebody recommended me to this woman who was making this film, and she interviewed me, and she hired me. But oftentimes, I'm hired by people who are not filmmakers, Um, but they have access to a subject. And so she was had like 30 hours of footage in Long Island of around of people who were involved with this hate crime. Um, you know, some of the vic uh, some she became very close with the victim's family and with the guy who killed uh, her one of the guys who killed his family. And so I was like, this is a great, it's an amazing story. I mean, it says so many things. And so I was like, this is great. And I base, what I do is I basically tell her what to go shoot so that then we get the rest of the story because she didn't really have the story yet and get a lot of archival, like news stories about it. Um, do you want me to describe what the story is? Yes, yes. I, I put some of that in the intro, but um, yes, please tell us what the story is about. The story of Debutise is a hate crime that happened. It's a murder that happened on Long Island. Oh, I don't know what year it was, even, um, of a undocumented Ecuadorian guy named Marcelo Lucero. And he was killed in a train parking lot in Patchogue. And what the way he was killed was by like six or seven high school kids. Wow. We're doing something that they call beaner hopping. Uh. 
which means going around, uh, especially on Friday nights when they have their paychecks, and um, mugging or attacking uh, undocumented immigrants who have money, their paychecks in their pocket because they don't have bank accounts and they don't have cars or licenses. So they would jump them and get their money, and this guy fought back. And a, gun, a, a knife came out, and he was stabbed, and... The paramedics didn't come for a long time, and he bled out. Oh, and these six kids, I mean, one of two of them didn't even get out of the van, but uh, they were still charged. They were all charged. They were all arrested. And what came out was that this was not uncommon, and people hadn't were not reporting it because they don't want to be deported um so but it was and the police were ignoring it the police weren't speaking span don't speak spanish there's this huge population of ecuadorians especially from one town i can't remember the name of the town but a lot of them are from this one town in ecuador and um so how old were about, the kids that attacked this the kids man? were in high school. They were like 16, 15, 16. Wow. How many years did they got uh, in prison? Uh, well, the main, the guy who actually did the nice thing, Jeff Conway, Conroy, got like 20 years. Mm. The others got, you know, a year, six months. Wow. Um, as accessory. Um but one of the guys, one of the kids, was Latino. Get out of here. And Jeff Conroy, the main, the guy who stabbed his girlfriend, was Latino. Hmm. So it's actually a very uh, complicated little soup over there. And in the end, the reason we called it deputized was we felt like... Um, an atmosphere was created by the government, which this is where it's so appropriate right now. Um, but there was this guy, a lot of people, first of all, a lot of people blamed the parents. Oh, the parents aren't teaching them. The parents are this, the parents are that. Well, some of the parents are resentful and whatever. Then they, a lot of people blame the teachers. That, but then we look, look at the guy who was the kind of... Uh, it's called county executive, who's kind of the, you know, like the governor of the area. And he had run on an anti-immigrant platform. He was going on about anchor babies and they're coming here to take your jobs and they're this and that. So these kids felt like, why not? These people are bad. Why can't we do this? They were deputized, meaning they were told it was okay right, to do this. Wow. And in some ways, I mean, yes, they're guilty, but in some ways they were set up to be the fall guy for this whole system that um, sort of is screwed up. You know, these people have no recourse, the undocumented, um, you know, they're afraid of the law. And, um, but it was amazing. We interviewed one of the, um, I can send you a video, the link to watch it, but the um, we fil they filmed in a barber shop, which they just kind of happened into, and they just hung out there, and it was like all these guys, and the way they talk was 
it's just unbelievable. I mean, they talk about how these people just came and took their jobs. They don't want them here. They're ruining their lives. Um, I mean, it was just the re the way. And one of the main characters was a father of Jeff Conroy, who is kind of a lower middle class white guy in Long Island. And he lost his job. His son was a big football star. But because they bought computers for the bilingual program at the high school, they had to cut back on the football program. So his son was not going to get a football scholarship, and he blamed it on the Hispanic kids. Oh, that's so unfair, though. Hmm. It's not, of course, it's not fair. But from his point of view, no, it's unfair. Son, it's unfair to you know <laughs> to both of them, right? To both of them, right? But so that they're they're set up to be enemies by the people above them. Of course, and, yeah. It's like you, they're they they're learning hatred as right they're brought up because right. you know it's like when your kids say something they shouldn't because they're repeating what you're saying it's the right. same you know exactly. if your father is if you hear him talking about uh latinos or black or asian right. or even women you right. will you know if they see you hitting your mother you may right. hit your exactly. wife so it's just learning behavior exactly. that and so if your governor is saying these are bad people let's spit on them you're you're gonna say oh he says it's okay yeah that is kind of what you know like happening with the police that you know i'm right. not i'm not in the it, this is a very complicated um subject and right. we will definitely gonna get into it but you know, I'm not in one side or another. I think is you have to see all. This is not one isolated case. Is right, you know, these right. police that get into trouble that they have killed black, Latinos, Asian, right. um, you know, abused women, whatever. They have um, they have done it before. Is right. it's just no one says anything and they feel right. power. Um, right. there is also a lot of policemen that are doing wonderful things and they give their life for, right. you know, their citizen. But I feel like it's, you know, learning behavior and repetitive it's behavior. It's we're expecting what they say about the policemen, which I realized, is we're expecting them to deal with all of society's problems. And they're just, I mean, they're, some of them are good people, some of them are bad people, some of them are racist, some of them are not. But, like, to have them have to deal with, um, like, psychological problems, they're not trained to do that. There should be a social worker. Exactly. There. People living on the street, people dying in right. the streets. Homeless um, people, addicts, they don't know, they don't know, they just think they're all bad people. And yeah, not necessarily bad people. They're sick. Absolutely, and you know they they also um, is is that what you said? Depend of where they're coming from and where they're doing what they're right. doing. I I do believe some people go into a power position because they yes. really have the truly um, wanted to help, and other ones are going into a power position right. because okay. they like to abuse the power. You know, like. And they think they yeah and they that's what like pedophiles become teachers and right. counselors and cam right. teachers and that kind of stuff right. you know the perpetrator kind of right. find his way of you know being in a, in a power yes. position yeah right now well, talking power, of yeah power is a very dangerous thing <laughs> 
It is. It is. It is. And that's why, you know, I I have my views about politics, but I, I don't put my hands on fire for anyone because when you have power, you know, one thing is what you show and the other one is what you, you get and what you do because power is a very dangerous thing and, yeah. and people's minds and, and it you changes know. people. It changes people. And if people were not good people before that, it makes them even worse. Yes. I mean, yes. look at yeah, and, and some people they're good and they have good intentions sometimes yes. turn the other way because, you know, they're afraid that they're not going to get what they want to get. Right. Um, well, one thing I am like, why are, or anyway, this is a whole other thing that I have, is like, why would somebody go into government to not help people? Why would somebody become a, you know, it's like, you're not making tons of money. Well, I feel, you know, the whole reality shows now is very different, especially, you know, you've been working in this line of work and doing so right. great films. I'm sure some right. you like better than others, but, right. Right. you know, the whole reality TV, I think, um, I don't know. I Everything looked to me like a show. I just want to show people yeah. that I could, yeah. that I can yeah. have the power, that I'm that strong or that famous or, but the I don't image. really... Yeah, also it's like, you know, to me, you should, you know, most presidents especially or anyone that goes should go through um, a political science somehow, right. you know, right. a type of education just like you need to learn what, what is right. it that you have to do to edit a film. Um, right. But to me, just like this reality people, it's like, what is she famous for? She right. hasn't even right. finished high school. Right. She doesn't right. have any talent except for showing right. up her body getting or face or party right yeah. <laughs> so to I'm me politics is becoming the same because yes. you know not to i wasn't here i was way too young to know anything about ronald Reagan, and i don't want to get in there but i always remember um back to the future when they said oh well if you're from 1985 who is the president of the united states ronald reagan the actor you're kidding me who's the vice president Jerry Lewis. <laughs> so, interesting enough, it, they, they were in a in, in a way. Um, it was a good thing to 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 see that from 1985 and now into 2020. Yeah. So, but you know, I want to go back to your family. You you are you're from a family of great achievers. Your yes. mom, Joy, yes. is the founder of the Studio Theater in Washington D.C. Yeah. Um, one of your brother is the head of the Vietnamese studies at UC uh, Berkeley. And your younger brother, Jason, is the comedy critic for the New York Times. And he published a book called Letterman, the Last Giant of, the La of Late Night. Right. Now, I know your father worked as a diplomat. And yeah. that's the reason you were born in Bangkok. Yeah. How is, you know, tell us about your upbringing. It, it seems interesting. So, you know, and um, you're a middle child on top of that. What? And you're, I was a... You're the middle child. Are you the middle no, child? I'm actually the oldest. You are the oldest. Oh, all yes. right. Both one brother is three years younger than me and the other one is 13 years younger than me. Wow. Same parents. Same parents. Um, it was a mistake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. My mom had an IUD. She, she said this in a magazine, so I can say this. She had an IUD and she smoked, and they told her that you couldn't, that that wasn't healthy. So instead of stop smoking, she got rid of the IUD, and uh, uh, 
no, she got rid of the pill. She said you couldn't have the pill and smoke. So instead of taking the pill, she got an IUD and kept smoking. And a month later, she was pregnant. Great. <laughs> After being on the pill for 10 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then she had my brother. So that was a, he's kind of like my baby, too, because um, he was 13 years younger than me. Oh, uh, but uh, but that's another story. But anyway, yeah. So we, but my other brother and I and my parents, we for like the first 10, 12 years of my life uh, lived back and forth overseas in in Asia. My dad uh, was a diplomat in the foreign service, which means that you have to move every two to three years and you to new posts and you also can only stay a certain amount of time in the states um in washington so you come back to washington for a posting for like two years and you go out to malaysia for a few years and then they weren't we were in taiwan we were in thailand um so for me it was normal you know for <laughs> For me, it sounds very exotic and interesting, but for me, it was normal. I was afraid to come back to the United States. When I was in fifth grade and we were going to move back to Boston for a year, I was afraid because they I heard that the people get knifed in the streets. Oh. It was like this big, you know, this foreign thing that was really scary. And where I lived was very safe in Malaysia. Um, and you know kind of in a diplomatic kind of compound not really my parents hated that kind of stuff but um but so then we came back when i was in sixth grade and because my mom was doing her whole theater thing we stayed in washington for a long time um because you're allowed to stay for seven years and then you have to go so then my dad went back to Malaysia and my mom went back and forth and I was in college by that time. So, um, I was living in New York by then. And, uh, yeah, it is, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I grew up with these, you know, living in these diplomatic houses and had maids. Yeah. You know, everybody did. And we had a live in cook and, um, a gardener and somebody who did our laundry and we took taxis to school um, but to me it was normal I mean one good thing is that my parents and my mother because she was involved in the arts a lot of diplomats and I don't know if this is true for other countries but a lot of these diplomats they stay in their own little communities mm -hmm. they only hang out with the other Americans or the other diplomats but my mom got very involved usually in the theater of the country that we were in. So I got to know a lot of the artists and theater people and journalists. Malaysia is really the country I know the most and know, have the most friends left in, um, just because we left so long ago. Uh, but we used to know, like, we still do some of the sort of, you know, it's a small country, so there's, um, you know, the theater people and the painters and stuff. Um, but then I moved, was in DC outside of, uh, in the suburbs of Maryland. And I went to high school there. Do you think um, that you got involved in all this filming, um, industry because of the art for your mom, your mom influence? Um, maybe in some way, something about storytelling. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but also, this, one of the things I like about what I do is that you learn about a lot of different things. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, maybe, I mean, it, my parents are very accepting. I know other people would not be, other parents would not be so accepting of their children. My parents understand freelance. They understand, you know, they're very happy for what I do. Um, but yeah, they, they seem to be very open-minded and, you know, yes. uh, encouraging. Now, I know, I know you have done so much and, you know, small projects, big projects, long yeah. projects, short projects. Yeah. Any particular one that is close to your heart? Hard to say. You don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> it's very hard to say. I mean, different ones are good for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I edited this one film called Thunder and Diana, which was about a Jewish woman from Chicago who became the uh, first communist president of Guyana. Wow. And it's a true story. She married a Guyanese guy and she moved to Guyana and they were put in jail and they were communists and the Americans tried to overthrow them. And um, anyway, it was a great, it's a great subject with really interesting material. And I love the woman I was working with. And I think I was saying this to you before, more and more, I judge my projects by how the people I work with are. It used to be that, oh, I want to work on an interesting film. And I do work on it. I still do work on interesting films. But if the people are not nice or the people are not like good people, then I just can't. It's too unpleasant. I, I There's not enough. I don't have enough energy in my or time in my life to deal with that shit. Right. You need to be insane. It's a lot of work yeah, but, to be working someone that is so... That, yeah, but you run into people all the time. I mean, power. People have power. Yeah. And they become assholes. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> they were assholes to begin with, and that's why they got the power, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I would say Thunder and Guyana was a good project. I worked for a few years for this TV show that's for Bill Moyers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was creatively, it wasn't that interesting, but um, politically and just I mean like Elizabeth Warren was on that show every other week mm-hmm. and I edited all these interviews with her mm-hmm. from this was in like 2010 before anybody knew who she was and he Bill Moyers is just the most brilliant and kindest man I've ever met I mean he at the office parties he would sit down with the interns and talk to them um, and he just was, you know, it was just... He was involved. Very, he was involved in what he was doing. He was He's very involved, and he really cared about people's quality of life. You know, were you in the show when he um, he interviewed the woman? Oh, and I'm forgetting the name, but she wrote a book called Infidel. Uh, yes, she's Middle Eastern. No, she's, she's, she's a black woman... From, I want to say, from Africa, and, and you know, she she tells the whole story. She used to leave. Eventually, she escaped because uh-huh. she was in a very uh, repressive um, Muslim um, community uh-huh. and family. Uh-huh. I think her mother went out 
to, um, you know, she went out and left the both daughters six. They were five or six, six and seven, something like that. And she did a uh, circumcision. Oh, yeah. and the girls and oh it's it's tragic but it's such an amazing book that i i 100 recommend that eventually she right. became part of the parliament in the netherlands but she made oh, a yes. yeah she made a, a film about muslim um you know repression and all and, and all that and the filmmaker she was doing it was very famous in the netherlands he was gay and he was stabbed and they left in his chest with the knife a note i, rem I remember this yeah I remember so this. he interviewed her and i was so touched by that interview that i went and bought that book and i was just i highly recommend this called infidel i'll, I'll look at i don't remember i did i worked there for three there was a lot of oh my god you kidding me and then after, after it was a weekly show so yeah it was like, many um, many many people Yes, and um, then he kept going. I left after three years, and then he kept going. So, yeah, that was that was really really interesting. Really, you felt like you actually were contributing to society in some way. Mm -hmm. um, At yeah. least opening their room for you know um, for conversation. You know, you don't yeah. have to agree, but I think right. he just, you know, he's more forceful. Oh, than that <laughs> you have to agree yeah. with him but oh, uh, but i but i like it you'd be surprised he knows what he wants people to say he knows he he asks the questions and he's basically saying things that he wants to say through there because he would do an interview for like two hours on friday morning And we'd have to edit it down to 15 minutes by the evening. Wow. And he would come into my edit room. They do a live transcription. But he'd come in and say, I want the part that's at, and at, at one hour and 20 minutes to come first. And then I want this part to come. And then I want this brain. And he knew how to put it together. And it was most not with his questioning. It's he listens to what people say. Yep, I agree. He listens. I mean, that's one thing. Charlie Rose was horrible that way. He never listened. He just would keep talking, keep talking. But Bill listens to people, and that is such. It's a skill that is very rare. I also feel like he has an amazing memory because the way he, he speaks and. He it's does. like how did he get so many people to talk and it's like he knows their story back and forth inside He's and out so fucking excuse my french smart <laughs> he's so smart it's incredible like his mind i've never seen a mind like this before the way i mean he would remember you know whole conversations and this sentence came and that i was just like really um and he's just politically very astute you know very yeah knows i mean he was in the government back in the 60s so he was there he knows what it's like um he knows what he's talking about yeah and he knows that what kind of point now amanda with all this you know before with i start recording we were talking about what life is with the family when you're working in you know the business that you are Yeah. Do you want to tell us how you came to be a, a wonderful uh, family? 